0: Welcome to the Solar Energy International podcast series. I'm Chris Turk, Director of Marketing and Communications here at SCI, and today we've got a great episode. We've got a chance to sit down with industry insiders who are also our curriculum developers and instructors. So without further ado, let's jump right into the interview. Today we have with us a few more members of the SCI curriculum and instruction team. Maybe tell us a little bit about how you got into the industry and actually how you got to where you are today with SEI.
1: Uh, thanks for having me. My name is Roger Williams, a member of SEI's curriculum team and an instructor. And it, it's great to to be here. Um, I've really enjoyed our podcasts in the past. Um, so my, you know, history with SEI and in the industry Pretty much started in the late '90s um, when I ha- I lived in Colorado, uh, where SEI was started. You know, I lived in Colorado and had a good friend who had an off-grid cabin. You know, he lived up at 9,000 feet, um, off-grid, and so I learned that solar worked. And a couple years later, actually, 9/11 happened, and I was more interested in where we got our energy. And so I found uh, Solar Energy International, I think by a little newspaper catalog. Um, it was at maybe the ish days of the internet and search engines. But, so I ended up going to SEI courses in 2002, spent pretty much a whole summer in Carbondale. And after that, basically moved to California because it was a one of the only places I could get a full-time job doing what I I loved all of a sudden. I, I just loved SEI, the family, and what we did, and renewable energy. So I moved to California, uh, worked predominantly with grid-tied solar, did some battery uh, systems back in the 2000s, um, And then it came back full circle. Uh, About three years ago, I got this position as curriculum developer and instructor to be a full-time employee with SEI.
2: Hi, my name is Brian Mahalik. I'm part of the SEI curriculum team and also an instructor for SEI. I've got a similar background and approach to the industry as Roger did, and uh, part of that was based on the fact that we both attended classes in 2002. We're um, co-alumni of class of 2002, along with a bunch of other friends that I'm friends to, uh, with to this day from, from back then. Um, I got into the industry, honestly, I was living a pretty vagabond lifestyle, doing a lot of camping, a lot of traveling, and got curious about how to have electricity when I was on the road. Um, also, you know, the off-grid part of, of PV really appealed to me, um, and I really just wanted to get involved in the industry. It seemed like a lot of opportunity to do a lot of different kinds of things, maybe own your own business, work in a lot of different capacities. My background, however, was English literature, so I wasn't necessarily totally prepared for this. Um, I knew I wanted to get into solar, so I took a job just working as an electrician in Arizona to kind of get some hands-on experience. Um, Eventually, and, and again, this was early internet days, at least for me, um, I found SEI, and I actually worked as an intern there, which helped me um, be able to spend a bunch of time in Carbondale, really get to know the people, and take a bunch of classes um, after, after that, um, SEI was able to help me find a job in northern Arizona with a company that several in, of my instructors that I had taught me that year had worked for. So that was pretty amazing. Um, I moved there and started doing off-grid and hot water and residential and commercial PV for a small company kind of doing it all, um, you know, design, sell, install Troubleshoot, that's where I first started to get that O and M aspect of the job. You know, I'd always heard, hey, this stuff is is pretty easy. There's no moving parts. Well, working on a lot of off-grid systems, some that had been installed by my company, some that had been Installed by other people that maybe weren't around anymore, I quickly realized there was a lot of maintenance requirements that had to be done both to keep these things running and, and keep them safe. Um, eventually, after working for six or seven, it's getting a little foggy, uh, years, maybe it was a little longer than that, um, I, I ran into some SEI people at a trade show and I was hadn't seen them for a few years. It was great to see them and they kind of pulled me back in. I started doing some online teaching. Then I started doing some curriculum development. I started working full-time eventually um, doing curriculum development and teaching. Um, And then I happened to relocate to North Carolina, which had a huge boom in terms of installed capacity, and a lot of it was big-scale solar, solar farms, large-scale solar, ground-mounted, whatever you want to call it. There was a huge explosion in in the growth of of these large-scale systems in North Carolina that kind of coincided with the time I moved here. Um, That was a really fortunate uh, turn of events. And since then, I've had the opportunity to participate really on both the engineering, the commissioning, and the maintenance side of really all scales of systems. Um, and, And to this day, I basically, you know, about... A third of my time is hopefully spent either in the field or working on um, analysis and performance estimates and engineering of systems. And then the other two-thirds of my time or so is is still in in the classroom teaching online and doing a lot of curriculum development to keep our stuff um, uh, at the, the front of the pack and the best in the business. make sure our curriculum's the best.
3: Hi, uh, it's nice to be here. My name is Sarah Wilder and I am also on the SEI curriculum development team. My role is the director of curriculum development and instruction. And I have kind of a similar-ish similar story to Brian and Roger in that I got my start in solar back in 2002, 2003. I didn't go to SEI classes when I was at that point, just because I didn't know SEI existed. I wish I had. Uh, But I I followed a, a similar trajectory, started doing uh, installs and eventually owned a, an installation company for for several years. I have uh, worked at a PV manufacturer, a PV module manufacturer, and now I'm in training. So I I've I, I don't know. It's just it's been a really interesting experience in the industry, seeing things from all these different points of view, right? Seeing it from the Installer point of view, from the business owner point of view, from the manufacturer, from the from the training organization, it's just it's been really cool to piece together all all of those different perspectives and and apply that to the to the training that we offer.
0: So this next question is: so both of you had obviously have worked on all different sizes of systems, from even small, very small, like systems for like an RV or camper, all the way up to megawatt level utility scale systems. So in that, there like Brian was saying, you know, there are no moving parts and relatively maintenance free, but there are times where there's going to be some maintenance and some troubleshooting and just overall operations of these systems. So in your experiences that you've had in the field, maybe tell me a little bit about that and then also how that ties back into your curriculum development process for SEI's courses for um, O&M considerations.
1: Sure, Um, it's interesting how you you mentioned that you know PV systems are maintenance-free and I I bet maybe Brian's bristling over there also because we have said that for decades you know PV is simple there are no moving parts it's maintenance-free but now that we've been in kind of doing O&M type activities and developing our O&M courses, we're like PV is maintenance free, but it isn't, you, you know, you do have to get out there and and kind of do some best practices, you know, preventative maintenance, that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, over the years, um, you know, starting out as an installer and then leading crews and then being a project manager for, for larger grid tie systems, Brian mentioned troubleshooting. And that's when we've maybe he first got into the operations and maintenance field. And I felt with troubleshooting and project management, on the, maybe the smaller scale, I felt like an investigator. You know, I have to figure out what the problem is. You got to go to a site. You have to look at plans. You got to look at pictures. And it, it's almost, you know, when you become a good O&M technician, you're like an investigator who's, who's gathering information before you start doing something, because you also know that electricity is involved and you can't see it and it's dangerous. Um, So, so that's one of the, I feel like how, my experience in the O&M space has evolved from being a foreman to a site superintendent, to a project manager. I also did some quality assurance and quality control at a large uh, installer where I'm looking for issues because I want this system to last for 30 years. I don't want it to be on the nightly news being it's a disaster. So, you know the problem solving and troubleshooting is has just been so great to to learn about. And you know if if you can teach those skills, you know that you know them very well, and it gives you the confidence to go out into the real world and put all the skills and practices and knowledge that we've learned and we've taught in our courses put those to use out in the field in a safe manner.
3: As Roger said, it it turns out it's not quite maintenance-free, but a lot of it has to do with how it was installed in the first place, right? Because if you're using a bunch of cheap materials and you don't know what you're doing and you're installing your flashings incorrectly, um, there is going to be a lot of maintenance. And unfortunately, there... Have been a lot of systems installed out there by people who didn't quite know what they're doing, right? So if it's if it's installed you know, perfectly with 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 great materials and great quality workmanship, maybe it does lean towards the side of of more maintenance free. But um, there's there's a lot to there's a lot to troubleshoot, a lot of maintenance issues out there that people um, need to address, unfortunately.
2: Yeah, it's, it's obviously it's a great point. You know, we all work for an educational organization because we know that understanding how to do things right, how to design systems correctly and install them correctly is step one (laughs) in a long system life when we want to start off on the right foot. That's why we're all here. That's why we work for Solar Energy International. Um, I quickly, as soon as I got out in the field after leaving leaving SEI, and I'm sure you had the same experience, Roger, and you too, probably, Sarah, all of a sudden, I was running into a bunch of Y2K systems that, when th- when society didn't break down, people kind of didn't care about them anymore, and they didn't touch them, look at them, think about them, anything. And those were those were immediate in my face. Here's stuff we've got to fix, maintain, keep it working, and keep it safe. Um, and so that was that was a great lesson right off off the off the bat for me, um, you know and. You can kind of contrast that with, you know, a system that somebody doesn't really care about. They don't doesn't really matter if it's working or not because they don't need the backup power. Contrast that to an off-grid system. It did a lot of off-grid work. If you don't do the maintenance there, you don't have electricity, and it's a pretty obvious failure. So those have their own special blend. Um, you can take that a little bit further, and you can start talking big money. Right, We work on systems that have a lot of money behind them. They have to generate revenue to pay loans. People need to make a bit of a profit off of it so they can develop and finance and install the next wave of systems. Meeting energy production targets is critical, absolutely critical. If things don't pencil out, if unexpected things happen because we weren't following proper maintenance procedures, loans don't get repaid, developers go out of business, Um Things can, can go downhill in a hurry. We're, we're talking about interconnecting large power production systems to the utility grid. The utility grid has a mandate for an incredibly high reliability incredibly high reliability we need to provide that as well we have a we have a variable resource we can deal with that energy storage and and forecasting and other methods to deal with that we need to make sure that the operation of the system is reliable and is going to be capable of producing the power that's there to be made based on the system that's connected to it we've learned a lot in the last i've learned a lot in the last 10 years the industry is continuing to learn a lot about what it takes to keep these systems operating effectively what it takes to keep them safe got to think about safety, especially when we have larger and larger systems on buildings. Um, and and what we're really starting to do now is get into almost a, a second wave, I would almost I kind of like to think about it in terms of O&M, in terms of making really fine tuning what the pra- best practices are and then doing them in an efficient manner. Part of that is execution of processes in the field. Part of that is analyzing data. Part of that is, as Roger mentioned earlier, you know being able to troubleshoot stuff when things do go wrong and things do happen because that's going to be inevitable but we really have a mandate to keep these systems operating um uh, safely and effectively for for decades and and it takes work.
1: Yeah, I like I just want to reiterate a couple points that like Sarah started and Brian also mentioned kind of about like I like to teach people now um those who've been in the industry for a little while uh, maybe they're at our O and M course, or they're taking it online. But but I like to push for design for O and M. So you know, Sarah mentioned if the design was shoddy, if the equipment was not of high standard, if the installation was done poorly, that's going to make O and a mess. So as a former you know field guy, um, I like to push it back up the chain to my beloved designer friends and say, you know, help me succeed with o by designing the best system you can. Because, you know, we've learned, like Brian said, we've learned a lot in the past 10 years. Um, things change every six months in the industry. But, if we can build better systems, they're going to last longer and they're going to make our clients happy and they're going to pay the loans back on time, which is going to make everyone
0: happy. Is that it almost seemed like as the industry matured and more and more systems were out there in the wild, it was almost like there was a mandate not only for the need for O&M, but for SEI to develop O&M-based classes with an O&M-specific focus. And so, in recent years, SEI did come out with the PV three fifty one hands on lab, and and more recently, the PVOL three fifty online course. So maybe tell us a little bit about just the history of how, you know why those courses were developed, and how are those courses SEI's response to that growing need in the industry?
2: You know, I think SEI has been fortunate. We have such an amazing group of curriculum developers and instructors that we usually do a good job about forecasting where the industry's heading to some degree. And we've done it with our energy storage and battery classes and, and being ahead of the curve there all the time. And I think the same thing happened with O and M. We just realized that, hey, this is where the industry's going you know all of a sudden there's a bunch of systems out there the, the growth is so phenomenal of course this is going to happen we're seeing it our instructors are seeing it um you know in, in the field our, our curriculum developers are our, our work through professional services working with with other with other contractors and developers and companies we we saw that happening and and really realized that this was going to be not just a not even necessarily just something you need to know in addition to how to design and install systems, but really a a, a subsector of the overall industry itself, you know, potentially a specialty for a lot of people that are out there. That's what they do is they do PV, O and M. Right. And there's a lot of, People that do installation and O&M and sales and all that kind of stuff as well. Um, so we saw it really coming across all of the different sectors of the industry. You know, just the numbers of residential systems, the sizes of larger systems going in on the ground and on buildings. This was obviously going to be a, a key area for development. And it also really was, you know, part of... Uh, it was driven by demand from our students. They wanted more. You know, they they wanted they were still hungry. They they had taken maybe all of our classes that they could and and they'd been in the field some and, and they wanted to learn more because they're passionate and had a hunger to, to continue to grow in the industry. And and I think that's one of the great things about three fifty one is it does continue our own our O and M class, P V three fifty one, it does continue to build on the rest of our curriculum. So you you just increase your understanding of the whole body of solar. While having this focus on operating, maintaining, troubleshooting, fixing, um, and keeping things running well,
1: Hey, yeah, and I just want to add um, you know the course started out as three fifty one l. it was it was part um, classroom. And then half the time we were out in the lab yard, you know, with live systems, with tools and meters and, you know, troubleshooting and using those tools to, to, to basically show students how to use them safely, why we use them, when you might use them. So again, it started out as 351L, a lab class. And then, you know, four or five years ago, we, we Saw you know how many courses and students we had online, and we made PVOL 350, so it'd be our online O class. So now we could reach a much broader audience because you know not everyone can come out to the lovely uh, lab yard in Western Colorado. So we made PVOL 350, so people could take the O class online it certainly doesn't have the lab yard experience where you're doing you know things real time but it's a great venue to ask all your questions and and get the knowledge from your instructor and you know i'm one of the instructors for the online course and occasionally the lab class and you know, if I don't know a good enough answer for a specific question, I have a pool of fifty other colleagues. Well, come on, Roger.
2: We all know. We all know you just call me.
1: <laughs> That's right. Well, usually I would I would email or text Brian first, um, but we just have a huge pool of colleagues that are in the industry, they're in the field, and. I don't think, not one of us knows everything, but collectively we have a lot of knowledge together and we just wanna, I think all of us as instructors wanna share it with as many people as we can.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, it's an an amazing body of curriculum. I love teaching the hands-on lab class PV351L. It's an amazing group of students. It's a great experience. The online class, the theory is there, and so you get so much out of that as well. We teach this class um, in different locations. I've taught it in Canada, in Ontario. I've taught it in um, California, in North Carolina, um, in Nevada. Uh, we We teach versions of this at conferences. It's just People really want this information, and there's so much value to it, and, and they understand that it's it's really been something. And by teaching it in all those different venues, where it allows us to constantly refine it, because it is it is a quick-growing subsector of the overall industry. You know, best practices are change. New tools and meters and equipment come out. Um you know, people figure out better ways of doing things, and, and that allows us to be more efficient in the preventative side of our O&M work. Um, and so the curriculum really has continued to grow and evolve as the O&M uh, industry has as well.
0: So let's dive into the details a little bit. So what will a student take away from this class if they enroll with an SEI o training opportunity?
1: Yeah, um, well, f- you know, first and foremost, we, we discuss you know, the very common tools that one might use when they're out doing O&M. There's certainly the digital multimeter with which by now most our students, you know, they all have one or they should have access to one and have experience with using the digital multimeter and, and other various clamp on meters, that kind of thing. But You know there's some specific tests that we do in the pv industry that we you know walk students through many of which they've already heard of and they know of but we kind of walk them through why we take those tests i'm I'm talking about the like commissioning tests um, voltage and current and power output Um, but we also like brian mentioned we kind of go into the theory of why do we take these tests what does it mean if they're high or low? So, we again become, you know, we investigate if there's an issue. So, we, we might start with digital multimeters. We go over other tools like insulation resistance testers, or commonly known as MEGGERs in the United States, um, which is a tool that any electrician uses to, to test the insulation on a wire. We go over IV curve tracers, which is a, you know, a, a tool very specific to the PV industry itself. We can go down and see you know how, how could a string operate under the conditions it's experiencing. Um, we talk about thermal imaging with the infrared cameras. Um, you know lots of electricians have experience with thermal imaging you know commercial utility scale electricians have experience with thermal imaging but some folks if they're just if they're into the pv industry with with minimal electrical background they might have never used a a thermal camera and they're a great way to see an issue without touching anything you can scan an electrical panel you can scan conductors. You can scan uh, terminations with the thermal camera and see if it's hot, if it's hotter or colder than a a similar conductor. So uh, in in the online course, we we go over all these tools and the theory behind them and why we use them and, and what type of tests or measurements we use them for. And then certainly in the lab yard, we have students use all these tools in a safe manner, in a safe space, and they can experience how simple it is to use some of them while also doing it safely. And I always encourage, encourage our students online and in person, like, now is the time for you to ask questions, say you don't understand something, because your boss isn't here. And if you have that question, 10 other people in the class probably have the same question. So this, this O&M course is just a great space because we're talking about you know, higher voltage systems, high current systems, all these different meters and tools. We're telling people how to use them safely and, and hopefully what questions to ask. And and do that so they can become confident with that tool when they need it, when they're on their own out in the field.
0: Hey, Roger, why don't you tell me a little bit, um, and I've, I've experienced this too, just observing the 351L um, in person, is I really like how SCI the instructors, and in the lab facility, where we set up intentional faults, where we we basically we know what the problem is, but then we send our students kind of out on a on a research mission to find those. Maybe explain to me how those are integrated into the learning environment and how that is beneficial for students. Yeah, I
1: I can probably speak for both Brian and I. You know, we both teach a lot and I think the last two days of the O and M lab class are probably the best teaching experience all year. Because you know we have, I think seven or eight different stations we'll call them, where we've actually introduced a Gremlin. We've introduced a problem, and you know, after three days of, of being in the classroom, you know half time and going over the theory and different lessons, now we have these problems, and we really don't know. You know, we tell our students, we don't know what's going on, the inverter stopped working. And so now the the students in pretty small groups, which is really great, you know, maybe there's three or four people per group, um, they have to use their knowledge, their experience, and the tools that we've talked about to find out what the problem is. And I think what's key is the instructor at each station knows what the problem is. We know we're watching so they don't do anything dangerous. Um, we, again, we know what the problem is. So we know where an issue might arise. We watch them and and, and help them go through the process if they need it. And, Sometimes you know there might be a really sharp student who's got a lot of experience and they get it within a couple of minutes. Other times they don't un- they don't figure out what the problem is and at the end we have you know we talk it over through them. It's just a really great experience. All the students love it because again it's real world stuff that they encounter daily as an O&M tech but it's in a safe environment. There's no boss, there's no client, there's no mad homeowner behind them saying, you know, get my system fixed. We're there to learn. And we do, I think we do a great job in making it comfortable for them to do something that is often considered very dangerous.
3: Yeah, I'll just jump in here. And I mean, the the value of that sort of training is just huge. And back in my installer days, you know, I've probably spent a week or, or more looking for a ground fault on a PV system. And at that time, there were no O&M classes to take. And I don't know. It's, I mean, you're, you're out there, you don't know what you're doing. You're you're trying to figure out why the inverter is giving you error messages. I mean, it's, it's dangerous if you don't know what you're doing. And, you know, I also come, come to it from a perspective of a former installation company owner is like, man, if you have to send a crew out multiple times, or, you know, you send a crew out to just diagnose a quick, quick issue, that you think will take an hour, and it turns out taking eight hours, right? That's that's a lot of money wasted. You, you your crew should be installing new systems, not taking hours and hours trying to figure out what's going on with existing systems. So, I mean, I think that that whole introducing the gremlin thing is it's just huge. I mean, because otherwise, it's how, how do you learn
0: really? So, real quick, Sarah, on that you know on the comment about. Um, you know, the financial ramifications of just chasing down these problems in live systems. So we have a lot of uh, business owners that reach back out to SEI after they got their initial training with SEI, and they often will send their their crews back to SEI to get um, more continuing education, professional development, and, and specifically around this O&M topic. So from a financial standpoint, as a business owner, um, you know, these systems being down or not performing correctly, um, I'm assuming that can be a pretty expensive issue where maybe an investment in taking some additional training on this, your ROI on that is gonna be pretty quick, I'm assuming, correct?
3: Oh, for sure. I mean, you could burn the cost of tuition for one of those classes. Uh, you could burn that amount of money easily in one day, just looking for a problem or trying to you know, fix something. So, I yeah, I it's it seems very obvious to me that it would be worth it. You can't expect untrained people to go out and try to solve problems if they don't know what what to look for. One of the most interesting pieces of my my career in the solar industry. I've been doing this for I think this is my 17th year now was the 3 years prior to SEI that I worked for Solar World which is the PV module manufacturer and my position there was as the the technical services manager and what that meant was that I oversaw the the technical support team the customer service team the training team and the which includes the warranty you know when, when installers have a potential warranty claim they call us up and so it was our group that was ultimately responsible for deciding, you know, is this a valid warranty claim or not? And this can range from anywhere from, you know, a single module on a residential system to hundreds or thousands of modules um, on a, on a large scale system. And I would just say that the first thing that I would ever notice about somebody when they're calling, calling up is, are they, are they experienced? Are they knowledgeable? Do they know what they're talking about? You know, because if they, if they just call up and they say, Hey, you know, my system's not, my my system's not working. Maybe it's the homeowner. Maybe it's the installer that says, I have a bad module. You know, it's like, it's so hard to know do they really have a bad module or do they just not know what they're looking at maybe the module is covered in shade maybe it was designed improperly this maybe the system was designed improperly maybe you know it could be a whole host of reasons what's going on with that system performance and so you know it when you get on the phone with somebody who has been trained in o m stuff and they say okay you know i went out here my here are the readings i took from the the digital multimeter and the the irradiance test and And temperature tests and or or, or maybe even advanced tools like iv curve tracers here's the data and when you're dealing with somebody who has that experience and it's obvious we're just we were just so much more likely to um i don't you, you could just get down to the root of the problem way more easier and you know you know okay yes you've provided me with all this this information, this is a valid warranty claim, let's get these modules replaced, versus going back and forth with somebody who you know doesn't know what they're talking about. And you know, it, it could very obviously be a an installer error and not a product failure. So I would just say, you know, to any business owner out there, if you want to have success, you know, if, if products sometimes do fail um but if you want to have success with with dealing with your manufacturers you have to have a crew that's that's trained and and can provide real data they're not just going to honor a warranty claim that is, you know, based on bad information, right? So it's 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 pretty critical.
0: Um so my next question I'm going to ask all of you, it's kind of a like a if you had a crystal ball and you could look into the future to see where O and M is going um, as systems evolve, as systems get bigger, uh, different system architectures, you know, come about in the industry. Where do you think O and M is going for the solar industry?
3: I, I think you know when we're talking about O and M on the on the large utility scale side, it's just required, right? Brian was talking earlier about how it's you know it's essential that 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 system performs in order to pay back loans and 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 all of that, but on the residential side, it it, it doesn't always happen. Uh, people are you know they want to spend all their time focused on installing systems, and it's interesting uh, nowadays. There's so many systems out there that have been installed, and in a lot of places you can't find someone who wants to do residential O and M. You know you have companies who have. Gone out of business or relocated, and so the original installer is not there. And homeowners, if they you know come to the come to the realization that their system is not working, or they just want to get it checked up on, it is it is surprisingly challenging to find some company or somebody who is knowledgeable and willing to do that work. Uh, but it's it's actually a really nice little business opportunity, right? To you don't have a lot of overhead you're just you're just going out there diagnosing issues maybe doing some system checkups it's it's a nice way to fill in the gaps if you're a, a smaller installer and you you know maybe you're not your crews aren't busy all the time just to do some of that maintenance work um, is is just a really nice little business opportunity
2: yeah so you know O&M is definitely changing as as uh, more and more people are involved in it as we get specific uh, tools and developed, you know, that are focused for PV O and M. Obviously, we've seen a huge growth in the use of aerial thermography in in the last few years, and I think that that's becoming really a go to technique for um, uh, for O and M, especially on on larger scale systems. I think that'll continue to grow. Um, the thing that 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 never ceases to interest me, though, is you know I, I've got a couple friends that work for pretty large O and providers. There are still things happening on the ground that just take good old-fashioned know-how of doing things safely, troubleshooting, repairing, talking to manufacturers, figuring things out. You know, I was uh, recently involved in a system where we had um, meltdowns occurring in bus bars in 400-amp DC disconnect or AC disconnect switches. Totally a manufacturing problem. Absolutely a manufacturing problem. Manufacturer admitted it. There, there. You know, there's no high tech technique. Once that thing leaves the factory, that we can really apply to that. You know, that's that. It is what it is. Things happen. Things break down. In the end, the sun wins. Things get weathered. Things fail. You know, we are starting to see new things like electroluminescence testing is becoming a, a, a applied in the field more commonly. Better ways to make sure that the modules. Um, themselves are operating correctly. Because once you get beyond the modules and the electrical characteristics of the DC side of the system, a lot of the rest of this stuff isn't necessarily PV specific. Right? how much should the inverter be making? Sure, that's PV specific. You know, Wires terminated in a disconnect switch, not so much. So I think part of the growth of the industry going forward is going to be to continue to absorb best practices that have been used in other segments of the electrical industry for years and years as part of O&M, and then to refine those through new technology um, to use them more and more efficiently on our PV-specific applications.
1: You know, Brian mentioned aerial thermography and electroluminescence testing of of where we you know, technologies that we're, we might be using more and more of in the field on larger systems, and and especially aerial thermography is a great tool. Um, but I want to go like back a little bit into history in the industry and talk about monitoring. The monitoring of PV systems has gotten so much better in the past five or ten years when I was an installer, we didn't put monitoring systems on because they cost an extra $1000 on a residential system. Now, monitoring systems are almost on every single PV system installed. You know, I'm talking grid-tied and then even on the residential scale because so many people are using module level power electronics like microinverters and DC to DC converters. So on those systems, we have module-level monitoring. That's amazing. So now an O&M provider doesn't have to send two people out to find a problem. If they've done their mapping correct, they have a map of the system on their computer, and they can see the module or the couple modules that are down And so now when they send somebody out, you know what the problem is. Um, In the same way we use aerial thermography, where you do a flyover, and on a multi-megawatt site, you can see through the uh, thermal imaging where the problems are. So I think we've gotten just so much better at using tools and technology to help us um, be, let's say, more efficient O&M technicians. Um, certainly, there's there's just loads and loads and loads of data. That's a pretty big word these days out here in California. But there's a lot of data. So there's a lot of number crunching. So we're learning more and more um, about our systems and about what they're doing. But regardless of all the data, regardless of all the technology we have, like Brian said, We still got to send people out there. We got to get people on the ground with knowledge, with a good brain, with the proper tools and equipment to, to replace or repair whatever issue there might be. You know, all the technology in the world can't fix some of these things.
2: Yeah. I want to wrap that back around. You know, I think, there is so much data now, and data analytics is kind of a buzzword in the industry. Using that data effectively, Roger mentioned earlier about how O&M can inform the design process. I think using the data that we're getting allows us to, you know, um, target our O&M, especially from a preventative standpoint and making, uh, you know, larger decisions about where we want to, to use those those dollars and then actually figuring out what's going on on a a reactive standpoint you know where where's the actual problem we can find that easily Um, we can use that data to basically make decisions about how we want to direct our overall resources for O&M and we can also use it to inform the design process so there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, Chris one thing I wanted to say just kind of a lead into when we're talking about PV 350 and 351 is you know our O and M class really assume a level, a baseline level of knowledge coming in. We, our students, are high level. They have experience. They've taken other SEI classes. They know the basics of PV systems, how they work, how sunlight affects them, how temperature affects them, how to use the the, the, the standard meters that you're going to use to commission a PV system. What we really do in PV three fifty one, we by assuming that we're able to quickly build off of that knowledge base and really um, get to advanced topics very quickly. So the fact that we have you know a very low instructor to student ratio and um, students that have experience and, and that baseline of knowledge really um, allows the course to, uh, to to take off from there in a hurry. So one thing I want to make clear about Pv351 Pv350 online or our OM classes is they really assume a base level of knowledge here. You understand how PV systems work, how they react to sunlight intensity, how temperature affects them. You understand how to commission a PV system, how to use a multimeter and a clamp-on meter. Um, And we really build on that base from there and are able to quickly move to very complex and high-level topics that are required for, you know, understanding if systems are performing the way they're supposed to be and troubleshooting problems as they come up. So, you know, if that sounds like you, if you've been in the industry for a while, if if maybe you've taken some classes and you've got some experience out there and you really want to take it to the next level, I think PV three fifty one or L our lab class or PVOL three fifty online may just be the right choice for you.
0: Thanks for listening to this podcast episode from Solar Energy International. For more information about technical training in the solar energy field, visit us at www.solarenergy.org.